pilgrims, in the history of human thought, there are three or four insights that are so profound, so radical, so game-changing, so fundamental, that they are more important than all the other things anyone ever thought of, all the other ideas anyone ever had in human history. St. Paul had one of those insights. Wives, be subordinate to your husbands, wasn't it. And to understand what was going on when Paul said that, we have to look carefully at today's gospel. But before we do that, I have to admit that it may seem extremely bold for me to presume to criticize anything St. Paul said. After all, he's a saint, and I'm a deacon. And he was an apostle. And when my life on earth is over, the topic of canonization is not going to come up. What do I have that St. Paul didn't have? I have a wife. And when I first began academically approaching this wives be subordinate to your husband's line from St. Paul, I went to Sarah and I said to her, in the 30 plus years we've been married, how many times have I put my foot down? And she put down the book she was reading and looked up at the ceiling and thought, and thought, and thought. And finally, she turned her eyes back to me and she said, twice. And you were quite thrilling on both occasions. Now, to understand what was going on here, to get a full idea of it, imagine if when, G when Mary and Joseph noticed that Jesus was not among them, that he was not in the caravan going back, he was not with any of their friends and relatives. Someone had said, you know, we really should have a discussion here about gender roles. We really should discuss whether men and women should be traveling separately because that's the kind of thing that can cause this kind of confusion. No, they <laughs> said, no, we're going back to Jerusalem right now and we're going to find him. We're not going to put anything ahead of that. That takes priority over everything else. We're not going to enter into a conversation at this time about some broader social issue. Well, in the same way, when Paul wrote this line in the epistle to the Colossians, he wasn't writing a marriage manual for the 21st century. St. Paul didn't think there was going to be a 21st century. He didn't think there was going to be a second century. Every morning when he woke up and rolled off the blankets he'd slept in, St. Paul fully expected to see angels coming down from heaven, blowing trumpets, announcing the end of the age and the coming of Christ's kingdom. And for that reason, a fierce sense of urgency informed everything Paul wrote. We have to bring people to believe in Christ, and we have to do it right now. We don't have any time to waste. We don't have the luxury of exploring and struggling with age-old problems like slavery and political oppression and misogyny and patriarchy. Looking at what St. Paul would regard as problems, secular problems of relatively minor import, would have been to St. Paul like saying, oh, yeah, I know my kitchen's on fire and I'll take care of it, but first I've got to rearrange my spice rack to make sure the seasonings are in alphabetical order. St. Paul felt we had to give immediate, urgent, fierce attention to bringing people closer and closer to Christ because any day we might all find that we had all run out of time 
forever. So he wasn't going to focus on trying to reform secular society. He wasn't going to think about it. He wasn't going to re-examine it. He was going to urge people to come closer and closer every day to Christ because that made it, that was, everything else was subordinate to that. So what was the searing, blinding insight, the fundamental, game-changing, radical notion, the idea that St. Paul had? Well, he hints at it in today's gospel when he says, above all, above everything else, put on love. Because St. Paul, as he expressed in other epistles that he wrote, insisted again and again and again not on subordination of anyone to anyone else, but on the opposite, radical equality. St. Paul insisted that there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free, there is no man or woman. Why? Because Jesus came to earth to save all of us and each and every one of us, and when he came to earth, took on human flesh. And when he died on the cross for us, he made the most stupendous sacrifice that is imaginable, and he made it for us. And the fact that we are the people for whom he made that sacrifice dwarfs everything else, dwarfs into total insignificance any difference that might exist among us or between us. Jesus made that sacrifice for everybody, slave and aristocrat, man and woman, Jew and Greek and Gentile, made it for everybody. And because he made it for everybody, we are all radically equal in that respect. And so, as most men in the United States and the Western world with any sense at all know, they are equal with their wives. There is not a relationship of subordination. That would not come as a surprise to St. Paul. St. Paul would say, yeah, you know, <laughs> what part of radical equality is unclear to you? Yes, of course, that's right. Now, how do we put on love, as St. Paul admonished us to do, in order to grow closer and closer to Christ every day? Well, the Holy Family provides a model of that love to which we can look as an example when we are trying to figure out how to do it. As soon as Mary and Joseph discover that Jesus is not with them, they go back to Jerusalem without wasting any time at all to spend three days looking for him, and they do that out of love. Not out of love for the Savior and Redeemer of humanity, out of love for their son, Jesus. When they find Jesus in the temple, he is discussing scripture, the Hebrew scriptures, and teachings with the elders, and they are astonished, the elders and the teachers are, at Jesus' knowledge and understanding. Well, in his human nature, Jesus was not born with knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures. He was not born with that understanding. He had it because Mary and Joseph had made it a point to teach him and to see that he was taught the Hebrew scriptures and the teachings of the Hebrew faith. And they did that. They educated him out of love not out of love for the savior of humanity, out of love for their son, Jesus. 
And then Mary scolds Jesus when she says, how could you do this to us? That is a harsh reprimand. That is a sharp admonition. And most of us growing up, we would, we'd messed up like this, we would hear one of two things from our moms. One was, just wait till I get you home, mister. And that was bad. But how could you do this with tears in her, her eyes and a choke in her voice? That was much worse. When, Jesus, when Mary scolded Jesus in this way, scolded him for something that was not deliberately wrong, therefore not sinful, but nevertheless thoughtless and potentially hurtful, she was disciplining him, disciplining him out of love, not out of love for the incarnation, not out of love for the hinge of human history that Jesus is coming to earth represented, but love for her son, Jesus. And then, despite his somewhat perky admonition or response, I have to be at my father's house, he obeyed them. He went back to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph. He did that out of love and he benefited from that because the gospel tells us he grew in wisdom. He continued to develop under their tutelage, under their nurturing him. And they nurtured Jesus once again out of love, not out of love for the redeemer of all humankind, out of love for their son, Jesus. And that is the love to which we are called when St. Paul tells us above all else, above everything else I've said, put on love. Put on love first for members of your own family. And then, inspired by that love, act of love by act of love each and every day, expand it to all of humanity.